0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. I've been trying to decide whether to get into the debate over Roald Dahl's children's books. This seems like as good a time as any. I don't know. My kids read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and they emerged unscathed. They didn't turn into monsters. By the way, hope you had a good weekend. Hope you had a chance to see Media Buzz yesterday. We've got some of the segments online. Yes, I know I'm a little bit in the news today, if you look around, but I said what I had to say on yesterday's show. Uh, So now, there's this culture debate about all the horrible things that you would be deemed unacceptable today in doll's books. Uh, he even calls people fat. And so there became this movement, and Penguin Books decided to put out, let's see, what would be the correct term? Cleaned-up versions, politically correct versions, woke versions of the book, taking out anything that might be deemed offensive. And there's a lot in there, in fairness, that by today's standards is offensive, having to do with mental health, uh, physical descriptions, gender. So now... Penguin announces that it will release or continue to publish, I guess you would say, the original version of Dahl's books for those who want to read them, but at the same time um, doing this alternate version. So it's a kind of a sop to those who are saying this is terrible, you can't tamper with literature. And look, I mean, you can go back to Huckleberry Finn and a lot of other f- classic works of literature that have racial stuff and other stuff that is just would be deemed horrific today. But how far can you go in rewriting it? And It's sort of like the debate over people, the authors themselves, doing terrible things or saying terrible things. Does that mean that their work should be banned? No. So, this was the compromise that uh, Penguin came up with. Okay, so Big story in the Wall Street Journal sparked a lot of debate and it has to do with the origins of COVID and the lab leak theory, which I've spent a fair amount of time on. So here's the lead. The Energy Department has concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely arose from a laboratory leak according to a classified intelligence report recently provided to the White House and key members of Congress and apparently at least one Wall Street Journal reporter. And it's an update to the Energy Department having been undecided on this back in 2021. So before I go into the details, and the journal, to its credit, you know, deals with a lot of the nuances, the embarrassment here is that when the pandemic first started, anybody who said, you know, I think, and and there were political motives here, too— Uh, It was China's fault. China infected the world. It must have come from a leak in that lab in Wuhan. Anybody who said that was widely regarded as a kook. And in fact, you were not allowed to say it on places like Facebook. It would be barred. It would not get any circulation. And bit by bit, and I've written about this and talked about it, you know, more people who've studied this think it it was a more plausible theory. We still don't know for sure. I'm not waving my arms here and jumping up and down and saying, oh, you know, look how stupid everybody was. It was a lab leak after all. But it certainly was plausible, and yet it was considered to be verboten. It was off limits. You couldn't go there. And that says a lot about our culture, our media culture, our social media culture, and the fact that even among reputable scientists, this wasn't really allowed to be debated. Um, so we do have a kind of a split decision here. So you have the Energy Department in this confidential report saying, uh, yes, likely from a lab leak. However, as the journal reports, um, this judgment is being made with low confidence, according to people who have seen the classified report. Um, the FBI had already come to the conclusion that a lab leak in China was likely the cause of the horrible pandemic that killed so many people around the world, including well over one million Americans. The FBI's conclusion is with moderate confidence, but there's a split within the Biden administration, and there are other agencies uh, that don't think that this is likely The CIA and another agency that officials wouldn't name remain undecided between the lab leak and natural transmission theories, according to people who've read this classified report. Um, A senior U.S. intelligence official confirmed that the intelligence community conducted the update, and this was done in light of new intelligence, further study of academic literature and so forth. Um, And Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, was on CNN yesterday he was asked about this. He said, well, we, you know, a number of agencies have said we just don't have enough information. So when you see the headlines saying, you know, lab leak theory gets boosted, yeah, it's true. But it's not definitive. It's like so much that we all end up debating. But again, my major point is why was this not allowed to be openly debated when – COVID-19 became a worldwide pandemic. Now, uh, I'm going to leave with this. Story number one, because I think it is just an absolute eye-opening story. I literally added it to Media Buzz about an hour before airtime when I saw the scope of it. And that is newspapers, hundreds of newspapers across the country suddenly canceling Dilbert, the comic strip. And... Just to give you some idea of the scope of this, the Washington Post, New York Times, L.A. Times, USA Today and its network of hundreds of papers were among those announcing that they will no longer publish Dilbert. Uh, and the reason is because the creator of Dilbert, Scott Adams, who's been you know, a well-known conservative, uh, and that's been increasingly apparent in recent years, made a video, and the video, there's no other word to describe it other than racist. And some of the editors or newspaper executives making this decision come out and say, this is a disgrace, this is racist, we can no longer publish this, except sometimes it takes a few days to take effect because some of the sections have already been pre-printed. Now, what was it that Scott Adams said? He used as a jumping-off point a Rasmussen poll that found a slight majority of black Americans agreeing with this statement. It's okay to be white. All right. Here's what Scott Adams said next. If nearly half of all blacks are not okay with white people, that's a hate group. So here's Scott Adams calling black Americans a hate group on his YouTube show. I don't want to have anything to do with them, and I would say based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people because there's no fixing this. He also blamed black people for not focusing on education and then he said, I'm not even giving you all of it. I'm also really sick of seeing video after video of black Americans beating up non-black citizens. So with this video rant, I mean, Scott Adams basically blew up his career. The Washington Post reached out to him and, and in light of all of these newspapers and canceling him and said, you know, how many papers are you still in? And he said, by Monday, meaning today, zero. So this includes Arizona Republic, Cincinnati Inquirer, Detroit Free Press, Indianapolis Star, Austin American Statesman, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And the Cleveland Plain Dealer, um, the VP there said, we are not a home for those who espouse racism. And it goes on and on and on. New York Times doesn't run comics, but uh, it cut the strip from its international edition. Um, now, Adams went on and on and on. He said any tax code change is racist. He denounced racist against individuals, but said you should absolutely be racist whenever it's to your advantage. Every one of you should be open to making a racist personal career decision. And he acknowledged on the video what he was doing at its peak. Gilbert was in 2000 newspapers. I can't tell you how phenomenal that are 1000 newspapers is great. You know, the workplace satire and could be very funny. So on this live stream, Adam says most of my income will be gone by next week. My reputation for the rest of my life is destroyed. You can't come back from this. Am I right? There's no way you can come back from this. So if he has that degree of self-awareness, this is not, you know. in addition to all the critics who were saying, this is pure, horrible, unthinkable racism and we don't want to be associated with it in any way, shape, or form, um, then why do it? What did he gain from making this video? Now, He had become increasingly controversial and some papers had already dropped Dilbert over the last year or so because he increasingly was putting some of his, um, let's just say conservative themes, into the comic strip itself. In fact, he mocked workplace diversity, um, this is last year, by creating a new character called Dave the Black Engineer. That was his name. And there were jokes about reparations for slavery and all of that. So Elon Musk gets a small walk-on part here because after the S-storm erupted, Musk tweeted uh, in response to Adams's tweet about media outlets pulling the strip, what exactly are they complaining about? He later deleted either that or a similar tweet. So now a lot of people angry with Elon Musk for jumping into it. I suspect he deleted the tweet because he didn't, you know, he tends to do things very quickly, and I don't think he was aware, this is pure conjecture on my part, of the virulent nature of the racist rant that Scott Adams indulged in, and... I just, I've just i been racking my brain. I mean, obviously, he must feel so strongly about this that he tell, need, had the need, the desire, the impulse to tell the world, to shout it from the rooftops, the equivalent of which is a YouTube video these days. You don't have to go up on the roof and get hold, cold. Um, so that's where it stands. And I suspect Scott Adams is right. I suspect that Dilbert will be in no more newspapers, certainly within a few days. And it is, it's not cancel culture. I mean, you could say that the newspapers canceling him are engaging in that, but he knew full well. He predicted. He said in the video, I'm, you know, giving up my income here. So he you can't say, well, all these, you know, ivory tower newspaper editors, they're too sensitive. I mean, this is awful stuff. And I like the Dilbert strip, but looks like it will be history. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Number two, haven't had a George Santos item for at least a few days, and I'm kind of missing the guy. Well, don't worry. Here's a piece in Politico. I can't even understand. I don't mean that it's incomprehensible. I mean that there's certain things like why would Santos do or say that. Like you can understand why he would pretend that he went to a fine college when he didn't go to any college or graduate from any college. Why he would say he worked on Wall Street, I mean, it makes your resume look better and maybe it helps you if you run for Congress. I guess we learned that that's true. So, here it is. George Santos lied to a Seattle judge, this is a problem because now the court system is involved, about working for Goldman Sachs, which he did not, while speaking at a 2017 bail hearing for a, quote, family friend who later pleaded guilty to fraud in an ATM skimming scheme according to an audio recording from the court file I guess so George Santos agrees to testify for this guy at a bail hearing says he's a family friend and the judge in Seattle says to Santos what do you do for work I am an aspiring politician true and I work for Goldman Sachs false you work for Goldman Sachs in New York, the judge said. Yep, said Santos. How do you know this man? We're family friends. Our parents know each other from Brazil, said Santos. The guy's name is Gustavo Trelha. So he was ultimately deported to Brazil in the first part of 2018 after serving seven months in jail and pleading guilty to felony access device fraud. Uh, In other words, he was going to these bank machines and somehow accessing them and skimming money off of people's accounts in large enough measure that he wound up getting indicted and sent to jail. So the political reporter calls up this guy, Trelha, who says Santos lied about their relationship. He said he met Santos in the fall of 2016 on a Facebook group for Brazilians living in Orlando. So I don't get it. What does Santos derive out of going to a bail hearing, testifying for some guy that he didn't really know, that it wasn't a family friend? According to this dude. And he's a crook. He just always seems to be rubbing shoulders with, or bumping into, or having associations with really shady people. And based on what happened, jail, deportation—I don't have any hesitation in saying that. Uh, maybe he thought then the guy would help him out. I don't know. It's—it's it's beyond my level of comprehension. All right, this is one of the deeper dives. It's done by the Washington Post. Story number three, and what I really like about this long piece is that rather than just like calling up a bunch of people, as reporters do, as I've done, you know, roughly 10 million times, um, there are a lot of um, interviews done here, I guess in what you would call focus groups, in five different states with Trump supporters to find out where they are on the upcoming Republican primaries. I say upcoming like it's next week, but obviously the media are covering it like it's next week. Okay, so... The piece says that the MAGA versus Rhino, Republican name only, dichotomy is increasingly obsolete. The new dynamic, interviews of more than 150 Trump supporters in five key states, is that in between Republicans who remain firmly committed to Donald Trump or oppose the foreign president, there's now a broad range of Trump supporters who, however much they still like him, aren't sure they want him to be the party's next nominee. And the reason, the top reason, electability. Even Republicans who said they still supported Trump and believed his false claims about the 2020 election being stolen are sort of in that category. They're acknowledging doubts about whether he could defeat President Biden or another Democrat. Here's Mark Goodman. I'll just, I, I want to read a lot of these quotes because I think it gives you the the insight and the, the the texture of it more than just any reporter summary. Mark a retired FedEx driver who lives in Chattahoochee Hills, Georgia. They've put so much doubt and mistrust in the people's minds that he might have a hard time winning, he being Trump. Um, this guy is a supporter of Ron DeSantis. DeSantis was the potential rival most often volunteered in these voter interviews. In fact, it was the, almost the only other name that came up. He appears to have established a national profile, independent of what people think about Trump. Voters said they liked what they heard about DeSantis' positions on COVID-19, on immigration. They liked that at 44, he was younger than the 76-year-old Trump. And based on the governor's landslide reelection, they felt he was capable of winning moderates and independents. Some of the voters said they viewed DeSantis as someone who could unite the country in a way that Trump couldn't. There was a fatigue with Trump, but not a break with Trumpist policies that emerged from these interviews. And I'm going to read you some more of these as soon as I get to the right spot, that is. Um, But on the other hand, a lot of these people didn't really know much about the governor. Some just called him the Florida guy, suggesting they were still persuadable for Trump or for some other Republican candidate. But Trump brought out a uniquely firm commitment with some sizable chunk of voters. Um, There was a Fox News poll that just came out yesterday, national poll of Republicans that had Trump with roughly a double, more than a double-digit lead, roughly a 20-point lead. In any event, that does not apply to Catherine Upton, 63-year-old Republican activist near Prescott, Arizona, who said we don't even think about it? There is no plan B. In other words, it's Trump, Trump, Trump. Such forever Trumpers. That's an interesting phrase. Who say they won't vote for anyone else form this, you know, bedrock of support for the forty-fifth president. But that actually may be his best path. That you know. Nikki Haley's running, Tim Scott runs, Mike Pompeo runs, Mike Pence, I think, is almost undoubtedly running. And the Trump people, according to this piece, I mean, this is not rocket science, folks. You know, want a big field, that they'll split the anti-Trump vote, in, and of course, Donald will be the nominee. The interviews were conducted in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, obviously all key states. So four categories. Voters who vowed to stick with Trump no matter what, those who strongly supported Trump, but were at least open to other options, others who wanted to see a new nominee, and some voters who were finished with Trump and couldn't see themselves voting for him again. Debbie Kelly, 71, state committee member uh, in the Phoenix area. He did a magnificent job when he was in, then he got robbed, and he should have another chance. But on whether she could support a different nominee, she said, depends on who it is. Linda Kahn, a lot of these people are older, I'm noticing. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. Um, She said that she'd vote for Trump as an independent, even though she's a lifelong Republican, if he doesn't win the nomination. She says, I'm tired of losing, but of course, some of Trump's rivals... And people on behalf of his rivals are saying, well, you've been losing under Trump. Losing the House in 2018, losing the White House and the Senate in 2020 and keeping the Senate in 2022. Okay, Georgia, Rusty Paul, Republican mayor uh, of a a suburb north of Atlanta, said, Donald Trump single-handedly dropped a big bottle of dye in this area. And changed it from red to purple. I talked to so many of my constituents who told me, I voted Republican my whole life, but Donald Trump, I just won't do it. They're looking for someone like DeSantis. They want someone with the policies without the edge, says Rusty Paul. Okay, Cole Musio, anti-abortion activist, says, The overwhelming majority of people I talk to fall into two camps. Extreme Trump fatigue where they really want him to fade from the scene entirely, and a group of voters who are really appreciative of Trump and pay attention to what he says and does, but he's not their preferred candidate. Uh, Muzio recently posted a a Facebook photo of himself with Ron DeSantis. So take that with whatever grains of salt you want. Just uh, here's one more from Pennsylvania. John Gress voted for Trump twice. Trump, go retire And just whatever. Enough's enough. We've had enough. John Gress mentioned January 6th, and he said, if Trump's the Republican nominee, he just can't bring himself to vote for him. Quote, if Biden ran, I just don't know what I'd do. I couldn't vote for Trump. Okay, well, that gives you the kind of feel for the different groups that are out there. And what I like about this piece is it doesn't reduce it to, okay, you either like Trump or you like DeSantis. You know, people, especially people who don't follow politics intimately and, you know, they have jobs and kids and lives, um, they may not have all the information. Uh, Or they may have made up their minds just based on, I mean, there is this category of people that voted for Donald Trump twice and still think it's time to move on, if only because they want to make sure that Republicans win the presidency in 2024. But keep in mind that the campaign, you know, I, I know that Nikki Haley is in, and obviously Trump is out there, and he was in East Palestine last week handing out Trump water. but it hasn't really fully taken shape. We got to see what DeSantis is going to do. I assume he's getting in. He seems to be talking to a lot of donors, but that's not going to be until his legislative session in Florida is over, which I think is end of May. Others may just hang back to see how the field develops. And other, and people are subject to changing their minds. When, when Don, Donald Trump is in the news more than he is now, because the campaign is in full swing, there are a couple of debates, um, the battle is joined, maybe the field is winnowed to the top two or three, people may change their minds. People may see Trump in action and say, hey, this is what I liked about the guy when he was president, he's forceful, and I'm going to swing back to him, or at least he's my top candidate. Or they may see him, you know, talking about meatball Ron and, you know, doing the insult thing and maybe just feel like I'm exhausted by him. Or I wouldn't mind him being president again, but I'm worried that he'll lose. There are a lot of people who think that Trump has sufficient baggage that while he can definitely win the nomination, and I would continue to call him the front runner, um, that he would lose to any Democrat. I mean, Joe Biden, who's got his own problems on the Democratic side, having mainly to do with his age and people who are reluctant to, and many Democrats in these surveys, they would like to move on, they would like to see somebody else. Uh, There I think age is is the major question, maybe other things as well. But one thing Joe Biden can say that no one else in the Democratic Party can say is I've already beaten Donald Trump. So we could well have a rematch between, you know, somebody who's 78 and somebody who's just about 82 on Election Day or not. So, you know, I'm giving you all the caveats because politics can change dramatically in a week, in two days. Uh, But at the moment, these rather in-depth interviews with these Republican voters, I think, gives us a better snapshot than we have had of the churn, I guess you would say, the uncertainty, the divided feelings, the doubts in the Republican Party as we head into a more serious campaign season. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Well, that sets me up nicely for number four. You may have heard me talk last week, and I brought this up on on Media Buzz yesterday, that Politico story, which was the lead story with the very provocative headline, Joe May Not Run, and Top Dems Are Quietly Preparing. And the reason I dumped on that story is... There really wasn't any solid information that Joe may not run other than the reporters originally had the impression that he was going to announce in February and now it's been pushed back until April. And you got to the sort of punchline of the piece. A sense of doubt is creeping into conversations around 2024. What if he decides not to? Well, that's the same question that's been asked for many, many months now. And even in the piece itself, uh, there was a line, I think it was in the fifth paragraph, saying, well, most people in Biden world agree he's going to give it the green light. And so, it just didn't seem to me, it just seemed like clickbait. The reason I'm bringing this up now, and let me just mention Kevin Cork, my Fox News colleague, said, you know, yeah, all these other Dems want to run. They are quietly preparing. And I i didn't doubt that. You know, Gavin Newsom and, I don't know, Gretchen Whitmer and all these other people who, if the president were to announce tomorrow, you know what, I've decided to forego a second term, I mean, they'd be out there running. I don't mean to slight Kamala Harris. I'm sure she'd be out there running too. And maybe the prognosticators are right that Uh, a very negative impression of the vice president has formed, and maybe they're wrong. But the reason I'm bringing this up now is, over the weekend, during her trip to Africa, Jill Biden gave an interview to the Associated Press. And this is what the first lady said. There's pretty much nothing left to do but figure out the time and place for the announcement. Hello? If the president's wife is saying, that's not even a hint. That's It's, it's an all but legal declaration that yes, we're doing this and we just got to decide you know, where we're making the announcement and what the exact date is. She went on to say, how many times does he have to say it for you to believe it? He says he's not done. He's not finished what he started and that's what's important. And of course, that's right. And uh, how does she know? Because I'm his wife, she said. She said, of course he'll listen to me because we're a married couple. But she added, he makes up his own mind. Believe me. So I just think that so totally undercuts the original political piece. I mean, the guy is running. Now, if he slips on a banana peel and it hits his head, maybe he won't run. But This is a guy who first ran for president in 1987. I think he is enjoying being president. I think he, from the Democratic point of view, can point to a lot of accomplishments, a lot of bipartisan legislation that nobody thought he could get through. So, of course, he he still wants to be president and not just walk away. And maybe he feels like, okay, who's on this bench? Pete Buttigieg has had a rough time lately and botched, at least in terms of optics, the East Palestine situation. So he's running, you know, unless there's some, unless fate intervenes. Biden loves to say, I'm a big respecter of fate, then he's running. And that brings me to number five. We jump back to the Republican side. There's a lot of good political stuff over the weekend. David Brooks, moderate conservative in the New York Times says that Ron DeSantis, when it comes to foreign policy, and this is interesting because all governors face this. What's your foreign policy experience? I mean, Barack Obama faced it too, given that he'd been a senator for two years. Um, DeSantis has cast himself in the past as being tougher on Russia than Donald Trump. Back in 2017, Brooks points out, he noted that Putin wants to reconstitute the Russian Empire. And he chided Trump, according to this column, for being too soft on Putin, saying you're better off dealing with Putin by being strong. And if he thinks he can gain an inch, he'll take a mile. But last week, this went on Fox and & Friends and he kind of leaned more toward the Trumpian position. He said, one, the war wouldn't have happened if Joe Biden weren't so weak. That's, of course, a classic Trump line. It's also a hypothetical that nobody can ever prove. He said he didn't want to give the Ukrainians a blank check. I don't think anyone wants to give the Ukrainians a blank check, but that's become the standard Republican line about how many tens of billions of dollars are we going to spend on the defense of Ukraine and what about the urgent needs here at home. He said Biden should be more concerned with securing the border, less concerned with borders far away, He minimized the threat, this is interesting, that Putin poses to the West, saying, quote, I don't think it's in our interest to be getting into a proxy war with China, getting involved over things like the borderlands or over Crimea. Well, Crimea, of course, was seized by the Russians in 2014. The China reference, China proposed a 12-point peace plan the other day, but it's a non-starter because they didn't even talk to Ukraine. Uh, China is having to decide whether to give additional support and possibly munitions to Russia, which would certainly strengthen, or I should say, increase the tensions between the United States and China, and they are substantial. So Brooks goes on to say that DeSantis' general approach to Trump is don't take him on directly. When, um, when DeSantis talked about Ron DeSanctimonious and Meatball Ron, DeSantis didn't really take the bait. Trumpy, but not Trump. The problem with be- being Trumpy, but not Trump, says the columnist, is you're never your own man. You have to compete with the king without crossing him. You're always trying to find that magic sweet spot between just MAGA and playing crazy. Um, I think this is pretty insightful. Uh, just a couple other points. Brooks says DeSantis has hitched his wagon to the populist movement. I think the culture war battles that he fights in Florida make that Quite clear. And that's how clearly uh, DeSantis is running. But DeSantis has to do whatever he can to get rid of this uh, label globalist, because that's really sort of Trump speak or Republican speak for uh, one of the elites doesn't really care about average people like you. Uh, this is interesting. Pew survey 40% of Republicans. Think the US is giving too much aid to Ukraine. Forty-one percent believe America is giving Ukraine the right amount of aid or not enough. So that's a dilemma for any Republican running for president. How do you resolve that divide in the Republican Party? And I'll talk more about this, I think, on tomorrow's podcast, because I think this is a, I think the one year anniversary of the war has brought up a lot of debate. And that's healthy. And I don't think the media coverage has matched at least the degree of um, uncertainty or the divide, I should say, within the GOP. I think most of the media coverage is pro the U.S. should do everything it can to help Ukraine. And I kind of lean toward that camp, but I want to talk about it in more length. And I'm looking at the clock here, and probably you have other things to do. But I do appreciate your spending this time with me. Uh, I love the idea that I don't have to say, you know, we'll be back in three minutes. Uh, hope you'll subscribe. See you tomorrow with Buzz Buzzmeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music.